all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown here with surgical pathologist Dr. Allie Brown in for Dr. Michelle Owens. Our specialist guest today is Dr. Lindsay Norris, a nephrologist who will talk about kidney disease and other issues related to your kidneys, both of them. If you'd like to call us with your questions and comments, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. You're going to hear news from NPR next and then you're going to hear Southern Remedy for Women right here on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The incoming national security team is beginning to take shape. President-elect Donald Trump has selected Representative Mike Pompeo for the job of CIA director. Senator Jeff Sessions is being selected for U.S. Attorney General. Both positions require Senate confirmation, but that of national security advisor does not, and Trump has decided that role should go to retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Flynn's appointment as national security advisor is meeting with mixed reaction in Syria. NPR's Allison Mews reports supporters of the Assad regime believe Flynn could be an ally, while opponents fear Flynn's influence will help drive rebels into the arms of violent extremists. General Flynn's position on Syria has alarmed opponents of Bashar al-Assad. They worry Flynn's position has come to mirror that of Syrian government officials, who view the entire opposition as radical Islamists. Civil society activist Assad al-Ashi says the longer the regime keeps killing to stay in power, the more radical the opposition will become. And if Flynn were to pull support for U.S.-backed rebels... Either they're going to join extremist forces or they're going to be on boats. We're going to see another wave of, uh, of refugees. Analysts close to Damascus say officials there hope Flynn will be an ally, not just against ISIS, but the entire opposition. Alison Mews, NPR News, Beirut. The International Organization for Migration says that over the past three days alone, at least 365 people were killed or went missing and were feared to have drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. From Madrid, Lauren Frey reports there were at least six shipwrecks. Migrants and refugees who arrive in Greece from Turkey are being turned back, so others are taking longer, more dangerous boat journeys from North Africa to Italy and Spain. And they're dying at a rate more than twice that of last year. More than 4,600 have perished in the Mediterranean so far this year. Lauren Frey reporting. Arguments have begun in a Houston federal courtroom in a suit charging the city of Pasadena, Texas, with discriminating against Latino voters. The case is the first of its kind since the Supreme Court struck down a portion of the Voting Rights Act three years ago. From Houston Public Media, Andrew Schneider has the latest. The case centers on a voter-approved redistricting plan for local elections. The plan changed the Pasadena City Council from eight single-member districts to a hybrid of six single-member districts and two at-large seats. 
Under the old system, Latino voters had a majority in four districts and were on their way to claiming a fifth. Under the new system, they only hold a majority in three. City officials argue Hispanics now make up a bare majority of eligible voters in the city, and they can exercise that power in the new at-large contests. Plaintiffs say the Pasadena redistricting amounts to discrimination in violation of the Voting Rights Act. For NPR News, I'm Andrew Schneider in Houston. The Dow is down 37. This is NPR. People across India are still facing unusually long lines to exchange large denomination banknotes. Large bills are being pulled from circulation as the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi works to crack down on corruption. NPR's Julie McCarthy reports. Prime Minister Modi's demonetization is part of a larger effort to curb India's parallel economy, which the World Bank estimates is about one-fourth the size of the formal economy. But trying to flush out tax evaders who stash illicit cash has disrupted life for millions of law-abiding Indians. Replenishing all the old notes declared illegal has proven cumbersome, and people endure long lines trying to swap their now-defunct notes for new ones. They're also limited to with drawing the equivalent of just $35 a day. The government has relaxed the burden for some. Withdrawals have been increased to accommodate the needs of farmers and families organizing weddings. Big business in India. Julie McCarthy, Empire News, New Delhi. Fiat Chrysler is announcing a recall involving tens of thousands of vehicles for repairs, the more serious involving a defective fuel tube that could cause a fuel leak. That problem could affect nearly 35,000 Dodge Durango and Jeep Grand Cherokees from the 2016 model year. Happy birthday to you. That iconic gown Marilyn Monroe wore when she delivered that sultry rendition of Happy Birthday to President John F. Kennedy in 1962 has been sold for nearly $5 million. A new owner, Ripley's Believe It or Not. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Novo Nordisk, which is committed to a healthy economy, environment, and society as part of everything it does. Learn more about their commitment at novonordisk.us. And the listeners who support this NPR station. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. I'm here with Dr. Allie Brown. She's a th- surgical, surgical, surgical pathologist. She's in for Dr. Michelle Owens today, who couldn't be with us. And our special guest is a specialist, a nephrologist, Dr. Lindsay Norris, who's going to talk about kidney disease and other relish- issues related to your kidneys, both of them. Hopefully you have two. So welcome so much 
Dr. Norris, Norris, thank you for coming in. Karen, you're tongue-tied today. I am tongue-tied today. I'm, I'm in awe of nephrology. Oh, I was so worried about that be. word, I couldn't say any others. It's very important. Nephrology. Well, welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Tell us about yourself. Um, my name is Lindsay Norris. I grew up in North Louisiana. Um, I went to medical school at Ross University, and that is in the Caribbean. Um, and then I Ooh. completed my... Tell us about that. <laughs> I would never be able to go to class if I went to school there. I completed my residency and fellowship here in Jackson at University, um, and I've been out in private practice about a year and a half. Um, I'm married and have two kids. Wonderful. And why did you choose kidneys as your interest? Probably. Well, when I started this whole med school idea, I was thinking I wanted to to do surgery. And then when I got through medical school and into my rotations, I was more interested in the physiology of the kidney. Um, It intrigued me. Oh, my goodness. I have to say that was one of the hardest things (laughs) I learned in physiology was the nephron, right? And all the things that get filtered in and out. That's really hard. So good for you. And a good mentor. Oh, that, you know, that, that makes, makes a huge exciting, difference. Yeah. I feel like most of us, when we chose our specialty, can think back to a person that really influenced us and was just awesome to rotate with. You could really look up to. So that's really important. Good for you. All right. Kidneys. We have two of them. Where are they? Your kidneys, if you reach on your back and you feel the bottom of your rib cage, they're, they're higher than most people think. So they're your, I guess, mid-back right at the lower end of your rib cage. One on each side. You hear about being punched in the kidneys, like fighters punch or or bad fights, they punch you in the kidneys. Is that bad? Well, if you punch hard enough, they could bleed and bleed a lot. (laughs) So it comes out in your urine? Yes. uh If you see blood in your urine, that is always abnormal. I don't know. It always seems like in the movies they grab somebody and they punch, punch, punch. You know what I mean? Punch the bad higher. Guys. Yeah, make sure you punch in high enough if you really want to hurt those kidneys. That's that's the take-home message here. What do the kidneys do? The kidneys have a lot of jobs and roles. They they clean your blood, so it's 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 like a filter in your body that gets rid of toxins. They manage fluid, so make sure you're not retaining enough fluid and swelling in your legs. Um, they make sure your your potassium and sodium are in line. Um, they manage your bone health, your blood counts, pretty much most things in your body are some way uh, affected by the kidney. They're important. (laughs) Thankfully, you have two of them. Yes. So if one gets knocked out, you should have another. But if you have a disease that affects your whole body, then chances are it's affecting both kidneys equally. Is that right? right? Yes. If if, um, there are some people that have a solitary kidney or just one kidney, either congenital and they were born like that or a surgery in the past. And um, but if, if you have Two kidneys, and if, if you're a diabetic, it's assumed they're both affected equally. Yeah, um, so it's not like it's going to pick one and knock it out, but you'll still have that other one. That it, It's the if diabetes, high blood pressure, those kinds of diseases will affect them both. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're born without a kidney, does that mean the other one is more vulnerable? Well, it, it puts you more at risk just because you only have one kidney. But if, if we were just to get lab work and you were healthy, I, I couldn't tell from blood work that... Um, the kidney function is abnormal. Um, How we usually find that is if I see someone in the office, we'll get an ultrasound or CT and it comes back, oh, look, you have a solitary kidney. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that... uh, um, They may have never known unless they hadn't had that test. And then they worry, oh my my gosh. (laughs) Maybe I only have one kidney, I'm thinking right now. Because you're afraid it's not anything to worry about. Well, I was reading the signs. I said, okay, well, let me look online about the signs of of kidney disease, right? Because you hear a lot about 
the things that cause kidney disease, which we'll get into, which the big ones are diabetes and high blood pressure, right? right? Especially for our population. But then I said, well, what, is it, what does it feel like to have kidney disease? It's, it's been a while since I was in some sort of primary care clinic. And, and then I realized I have kidney disease because they are <laughs> being tired, having trouble sleeping, having dry, itchy skin, having puffy eyes, but all the time puffy, right? right. Not just well, in the morning. And, and well, more in the morning, but it's a pronounced... It's not just bags under the eyes. Oh, okay. It's well, I think more of that's a, what I have is the bags. Um, it's puffy all around? Right. Uh-huh. But then there are other things. So there's having blood in your urine when you weren't sucker punched in the back, right? <laughs> um, frequent urination, having to get up at night and go to the bathroom, not explained necessarily by an enlarged prostate. So for women, you know, if you think about things like that, having swollen feet and ankles, having a poor appetite, muscle cramps, and then Karen Brown's favorite, foamy urine. Oh my gosh, that she told me that before we went on the air. It grossed her out. So why does your so urine So how get foamy, foamy is it? What tell us about tell us about foamy urine. So foamy urine, um, a, a lot of people in our clinic when I ask about that if they have it, they say, "Oh my gosh, yes, my urine is foamy." And it's like if you opened up a a soda and the the foam on top, that that is what is in in the toilet. The reason is is people if you have protein in your urine, that is always abnormal like having blood in your urine and the protein is what causes the urine to be foamy. I mean, usually it's a substantial amount. On that happy note, let me give out the phone number (laughs) if you have a question or if you have foamy urine, go ahead and call it and tell us all about it. 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Okay. In all seriousness, so kidney disease is a big deal. It's on the rise in women, is right. what I see, and especially in women over the age of 55 who are African American. Mm-hmm. So that is a very large population for us here in why? Mississippi. Why? Do you know why that is? You know, anyone over age 60, there there is a um, increased risk of kidney disease. Some of that is as we get older, there is a normal aging loss of, of your kidney function. And so if, if you're 90, I wouldn't expect you to have 100% kidney function. So as we get older, we usually start to become hypertensive and have high blood pressure, or maybe you're a diabetic. Uh, maybe our diet changes are a little more um, a little more lax than they were in younger years, and all that slowly adds up. And if it's if you've had high blood pressure for now maybe twenty years, when you're turning sixty or fifty five, that's that's when we'll start to see kidney changes. And so it's more if if you're a healthy fifty five year old, your risk of Kidney disease isn't going to start. Is it something that comes on very gradually? Gradual, right. And that's, that's why it can be scary. The symptoms are, aren't as, you know, if, if you had the flu, you would have half of those symptoms. Or if you're a mom to a newborn, you would have all the symptoms. <laughs> and so it, it's um, it's not, if you were having a heart attack, you more than likely would be aware something is going on. I need to see a, a physician. But with kidney failure, it's, it, it's silent. Yeah, so... I think that's something really to emphasize. It's important for our listeners to hear because having regular preventative mm-hmm. maintenance of with health, like you do for your car, you need to do for yourself because knowing that you have high blood pressure, because a lot of people walk around with high blood pressure and either don't know it or don't feel so bad enough to think about going to the doctor or even taking medication. But this is something that's happening over time mm-hmm. that if you don't take care of yourself, same thing with diabetes. This is something that you will most likely eventually develop to some degree, right? Right. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to go to the phones, and we say good morning to Cornish. Is that right, Cornish? Hello? I have a question. I have a question for the good doctor. When uh, given a chance to uh, to present her uh, 
her credentials, I suppose, her verbal credentials. She said Ross University, and she said in the Caribbean. That struck me because the Caribbean, you know, is pretty large. Why not say which Caribbean island? Okay. Um, may, maybe even say why you left all of these wonderful institutions in the United States to go to an institution down there that New York State has so much problems with. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, Cornish. Calling from Memphis. Thank you, Cornish. Um, the island where Ross University is is called Dominica. Um, it is in, I believe, the Lesser Antilles. Um, it is a very small island, but um, beautiful. Um, why did I choose to go to Ross is kind of a loaded question, but since you ask, I'll tell you. Um, there are many steps to getting into medical school, and different medical schools have different criteria. Um, the MCAT is the entrance exam to get into any medical school, and depending on your score, that kind of sets where you go. And so based on that, that is why I, I ended up at Ross University in Dominica. Um, All right. Yeah. So I hope that was what I was asking, if that was a question. And plus, you get to lie on the beach once in a while. <laughs> I have to tell you that uh, with all the love for Shreveport, I went to LSU for medical school in Shreveport, and it wasn't as pretty, I'm sure. <laughs> Although Shreveport is very nice. Let's not yes, insult right. our friends at Shreveport. Being, uh, right. I like Shreveport. All right. Kenny is calling in from Jackson. Kenny, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I recently, in August, uh, donated a kidney to my brother, and I went to Minnesota to do it. And it's, it was, uh, I didn't know what to expect, but it was an amazing experience. How many kidney transplants do we do in Mississippi? It's something I never thought about. You know, the um, the Transplant Center at University is... Um compared to like UAB in Birmingham or in Memphis and New Orleans is, is a little bit newer. And so I don't know the exact numbers of how many transplants a year, you know, that varies on if you're doing a living donor. And so there, as, as in you did, it's um, a living donor and then the recipient has the kidney or a deceased donor and the kidneys are allocated to different um, transplant centers based on a, a lot of different criteria. So I don't know the exact number of just kidney transplant at university. They are an active transplant center. Kenny, why was it an amazing experience for you? It was, I guess, I was thinking so much pain. I was thinking about all the things that could happen, although I wanted to be a, a blessing to my brother. But when I got there, and, and, and it was so funny, my granddaughter, she was like, I was FaceTiming her before I went into surgery, and she said, Granddaddy, let me see your kidney. And like, you know, <laughs> Show it to her, but it was amazing that the doctors, uh, they actually, once they took it out of me while they were cleaning it up, they took a picture of it and sent it to my daughter. So my granddaughter, oh, that's but, awesome. Uh, I applaud you for kidney donation, though. Organ donation is, is huge, absolutely right. good for you. Know, you. It was a really, a really good experience, but it was so easy because they, they didn't have to do a lot of cutting, the little inserts here and. And went in and do it. did it with that oposcopic. I don't know how to say it. It was laparoscopic, right? Yes, and it was just such a. And I just and 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 the doctors told me now you're probably not going. Your brother will feel better than you will within 24 hours. I mean, like 12 hours after the surgery, I was like in dire pain still, but my brother was up and walking around. <laughs> but that makes it all worth it, I'm sure, right? Very, very much so. But I thought so I do. I do plan to participate in trying to encourage people to be. Uh, kidney donors, but I just didn't know how extensive our program in Mississippi was. We do more deceased donors, but that's not saying if someone is interested in a living donor, um, donor, 
they would gladly see you. I can tell you that. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Kenny, we thank you for your call, and I think you probably have inspired some people today, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Have a good day. We need to take our first break in the show. If you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. MPB seeks an experienced multimedia journalist to produce NPR-style news stories and features on issues of local and regional interest. And be comfortable and competent with social media and reporting on multiple platforms. More information at mpbonline.org slash more slash careers. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, we preview the 2017 legislative session. Lawmakers will soon get back to work at the state capitol. Education, infrastructure, and the budget are expected to be at the top of the agenda. MPB political analysts Democrat Brandon Jones and Republican Austin Barber provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how legislators handle them. Join us for Mississippi's only statewide television news program at issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're back on Southern Remedy for Women talking about your kidneys today. And our special guest is nephrologist uh, Dr. Lindsay Norris. And we thank you for being here. And we've already had some phone calls. So if you'd like to call, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. If you'd prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. I want to get to the point where kidney disease has been diagnosed how do people get from there to needing a kidney transplant or or don't they need a kidney transplant? Can it be treated in other ways if you catch it early on? Right. Um, so when you're talking about kidney disease, that's kind of a blanket term for your, your kidneys. There is something abnormal about your kidneys, whether the, the um, kidney function is low or there's blood or protein in your urine. And so when we see patients, they're usually around stage three kidney disease, and that's between about 30 and 59, and we'll say percent kidney function. And so what does that mean? People on dialysis or that we're looking for transplant are usually around 15 or less. And so if if I'm following you in clinic and you, um, let's say, have high blood pressure and diabetes and and we're, we're now 
controlling the blood pressure and controlling the diabetes, that is the best thing you can do to try to slow down the progression of you kidney You can't disease. cure it. You're just slowing it right. down. Or so, right. And so if, if, if you're at 35% kidney function and your blood pressure and diabetes is well controlled and you're eating a low-sodium diet and avoiding some medications that you need to avoid, you know, we can hope to at least slow the progression or not halt it. Um, what is dialysis? What does it do? Dialysis is a is a, a artificial kidney. And so once your kidneys have shut down, and that doesn't mean you stop making urine. That just means they're not cleaning your blood and getting fluid off of you. Then you either need to start dialysis or, or you need a transplant. So your kidney's gotten so bad that it's just not functioning enough at all. It's yeah. not doing enough. You to said getting you. water off of you. That's why mm-hmm. you have swollen ankles and swollen right. feet. Yeah, just, just fluid builds up because the kidney isn't handling salt and water the same as it should. But that's not to say that having swollen feet and swollen ankles means you're in kidney failure or that you're having trouble handling from veins, you know, like having a hard time getting the blood back up to the heart and water seeping out. So we don't want to and when you talk about dialysis, I mean, it, it is a, a lifestyle change, but there's different types of dialysis that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. I mean, there's in-center dialysis where you go to a dialysis facility and they hook you up to a machine and clean your blood three times a week. Your blood is actually going into the machine and right. your, your blood is in. coming out of you, spinning in the machine and then coming back in. Um, how long does that process take and how often? Most people... People are on are on the machine itself around four hours. Oh my goodness! And, and three times a week, either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, um, is the is and that the, becomes your life more or less. If that that's becomes how your, invasive, right? And now there there is home dialysis, which is something I, I really like. It gives people the freedom to do not totally on your own and on your own schedule, but you can do it if, if you're working in the day. You could do it in the evenings, um, and so that is always an option for people to at least be educated on when we're talking about dialysis. When you are on dialysis, is that hard on your body? Do you do you need a kidney transplant if you are on dialysis and is, or can you go on dialysis forever? Def- yeah, so um I would I, people would do better if if we if we had to start dialysis and then set up for a transplant. And that can take years, the workup and then to get on the transplant list. That's why when um whoever called in earlier about the living donor transplant, that that is huge in these kidney disease patients. Um, but yes, and so if you're on dialysis and you're interested in going the transplant route, then of course um, you would get a transplant and then would not require dialysis anymore. Some people are, are, are content with their lifestyle on dialysis and don't want to deal with the added um, jobs that come with being a transplant patient. Mm-hmm. So it's a personal preference. If is it preferable to have a live live donor? Does it make a difference? It does. A living donor, and then especially in your family, um, it, they they last longer. Her, um, just looking at all the literature. Um, but again, I mean, I, I saw a patient in my training that had a, a deceased donor transplant in the eighties. Wow! And was still rocking along. So you always hear about it's so hard to find a match. What what has to match? Your your body, as we live, and if a a female, if you have been pregnant and had children, you're exposed to antibodies or, or 
foreign stuff <laughs> that's not yours and your body recognizes it and then forms um, forms antibodies to those to the foreign material and so when we're finding a kidney we don't want our body to recognize it that, that we, we need to kind of hide the kidney in the body <laughs> and so the more times you've been exposed in the past it was to blood transfusions that's not as common now but um, pregnancy prior transplants if you had a transplant and it failed that that does not mean you can't get another one, but it's just harder to find a, a perfect match. Um, does it, blood type have to match? Right. Uh huh. The the blood type is is probably the top thing that we look at. Yeah, all of our cells have proteins on the surface, and so our bodies are really good at recognizing foreign proteins. Right. Like if you have a cold or something, right. and somebody comes in a, a bacteria or a virus, and we want to recognize it as foreign and fight against it. So when you're introducing something foreign, like somebody else's kidney to your body, then you got to fool your body into thinking, oh, wait, this is this is part of me. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone. Otherwise, it's going to attack it and kill it. If you have autoimmune disorders, does that make it more difficult? Because that's like, what... like lupus, of course, that's going to be a big mm-hmm. reason to have kidney disease, right? Right. right. Lupus is, is very prevalent in this part, and it, it is not fair, and it, it attacks the kidney frequently. Yeah. Why? Um, it, it is a autoimmune process, and in the kidney there are a lot of blood vessels. It attacks blood vessels, and it can be a, um, a nasty disease. Yeah, since the kidney, it's, you can think of it like a sieve, right? Like when you drain your spaghetti and it lets out the water, but it keeps the spaghetti inside the sieve. You want to keep the good things in your body, right? And like the proteins and things like that, and then let the bad things come out. And they come out with the water, and that's urine. So with lupus, sometimes you have these complexes where you have an antigen, which is the protein that's... F- that it's actually your own protein, and since it's an anti, uh, autoimmune disease, you're attacking yourself. So it's the protein with the antibody that get kind of big, and when it goes through that sieve, it gets stuck and hung up in there, and then you start attacking the place where it got hung up, They're which fighting. happens to be the kidney. <laughs> big fight in there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a terrible disease, unfortunately. And we recently had a patient who'd had a renal transplant because she had lupus. That was, that was when we had uh, the show with the Organ Recovery Agency with Mora. And that, that was Where does that thing. renal, what is, what is that word? How is it associated? Oh, that's a good question. It's something that kind of, as doctors, we just throw that stuff out all the time. But that means of the kidney. Yeah. So when someone's in renal failure, it's kidney renal failure. Renal failure, right. ren- renal disease. Exactly. Exactly. I want you to that's call us with your questions and comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464. Or you can also send us an email to women at mpbonline.org. So how do people most frequently get diagnosed with kidney disease? So that how usually, do patients come see you? What, that, what happens? Yeah, that um, usually starts at their primary care office. They'll draw some labs or get a urine and things aren't normal. And so when, when you're talking about blood work, it, there's a lab called a creatinine, a big word for that tells us how are your kidneys cleaning your blood. Mm-hmm. And if that creatinine number is elevated, that means the kidney function is lower than it should be. So that's something that your body should be getting rid of but can't if your kidneys right. aren't working right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that and then a urine sample can go a long way. It can say, is there blood in the urine? Is there protein? Is there any, um, any infection? And usually the primary care will kind of, will get those labs and see some abnormalities and then send it to our clinic and we'll kind of take over from there. And what's the first thing you do when a patient first comes to see you? What is that first visit like? It is um, it is a lot of questions. And we're talking anything about, you know, how long have you, if, if you have... 
high blood pressure, diabetes, how long? Is there a family history of kidney disease? You know, um, any recent medications, a lot of medications, um, antibiotics, um, a class of medications called NSAIDs, uh, oh. ibuprofen, Aleve, BC powder, naproxen. These There's common a, things, right? Over the counter. That we take a lot of. That if, yeah. you're, if you're sick and you have aches and pains and if you take a lot of NSAIDs, that in some cases can cause kidney damage. I know I've been asking this a lot, but why? <laughs> <laughs> so the That's NSAIDs... the best question ever. There's a lot of different reasons of why. The, I guess the most common would be a... a uh, it's called interstitial nephritis. It's an allergic reaction in the kidney. Um, but then on the flip side, a lot of people, if you're taking NSAIDs, you're not feeling well, you're not eating and drinking, you're dehydrated. So if you're dehydrated and then taking the NSAID, that uh, it affects the kidney's ability to regulate the blood flow in the kidney. And so you, there's two hits, the dehydration and the NSAID. I wanted to ask about that. Does dehydration, you know how you hear when you urinate, the color should be pale. And right. if it's dark, it means you're dehydrated. So if you're peeing dark a lot, does that indicate there might be kidney disease? Well, if if, if it's dark as in um, like a dark brown color, that means there's probably blood. That is a, I need to get to a, a primary care or to a clinic and have a urine looked at. If it's like, um, like a dark yellow, like popcorn butter, <laughs> that means you probably are dehydrated. Because the, the color of the urine is a huge kind of clue into what's going on. I just have to laugh because Dr. Owens uses that popcorn butter. Yes, she does. She just freaks me out when she says it. But yes, <laughs> popcorn butter. Yeah, pretty much if you have blood in your urine and you're not currently menstruating or something like that, you should go to the doctor, right? I, yes, mean, I can't uh-huh. think of a reason why you, you wouldn't need to have that checked out. You did say when someone's on dialysis, they're still going to go to the bathroom. Some people do. You know, it, 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 if, if they're making urine when they start dialysis, there is usually a, a gradual decline and at some point they'll stop making urine. But it's a, a common comment is I'm still, I'm still making urine. I don't have kidney problems. And that mm-hmm. is not what we look at really. Um, you can have 10% kidney function and still make a decent amount of urine. All right, we're going to take our second break of the hour. Um, please feel free to call us at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email women at mpbonline.org. We're talking about kidney disease, so stay with us here on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
Hi, this is Grassroots host Bill Ellison. You know, after more than 20 years, you'd think I might have run out of Bill Monroe and Doc Watson songs to play. Well, not so. The bluegrass, acoustic, and folk music scene is vibrant with new names like Sarah Jarose and the Punch Brothers. There are always new stories from Guy Clark and Ramblin' Jack, and legendary bluegrassers Ralph Stanley and Del McCurry are still high and lonesome. And besides, I still find a song from Bill and Doc I've never played. Join me Saturday night at 8 for Grassroots on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. I'm here with Dr. Allie Brown, who is sitting in for Dr. Michelle Owens today. And our specialist in the house is Dr. Lindsay Norris. She is a nephrologist. We're talking about kidney disease today. And I interrupted. You were asking Dr. Brown about visiting the doctor for the first time. Yeah, I wanted just kind of wanted to talk about when uh, the whole kidney disease discussion first, well, it should first start with a patient early on, long before they have kidney disease, right? Because so much of this is preventable and we're actually in control of as patients. But when this encounter starts with the nephrologist, with the kidney doctor, long before we even start talking about kidney transplant and things mm-hmm. like that. So we were talking about the initial visit when a patient would come to see you. Usually they are referred by their primary care doctor who sees something abnormal in their blood or urine tests. Mm-hmm. Um, then they come see you and ask a lot of questions. Right. <laughs> and we're going to stop right there and hold that answer because we have a caller. Karen, you baited me into that. Come on. <laughs> we're going to get back to it. Rachel is calling in from Clarksdale. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hey, what's your question? Well, um, it's kind of a complex question, but I was uh, having problems with my blood pressure back in the spring. It, when I stood, it dropped a lot, and I just felt like I had to sit and lay down all the time. Anyway, after uh, my primary doctor referred me to... Um, a cardiologist because my echocardiogram had something a little abnormal on it. The cardiologist did a stress, um, chemical stress test, and also he wanted to do a CAT scan of my kidney because he thought that might have been why my blood pressure was giving me trouble. It turns out that my stress test was okay, but my kidney had some plaque in one of the renal arteries. Um, he said that, you know, if it got worse, a stint maybe could be put in, but that was more invasive. And he just cut my blood pressure pill in half to take one at night and um, to go back to him in January. How are you doing now, Rachel? Uh, my blood pressure is much better. Um, and I'm feeling okay. My Renal function, my creatinine and BUN were okay. Oh, that's good. And it sounds like you were having more trouble with low blood pressure instead of high blood pressure, right? It was low. It was dropping when I stood. I was having hypo, 
hypertension. Yeah, usually with kidney disease, and Dr. Norris would talk about this better than I, but you normally one of the, uh, what you'd see more commonly would be high blood pressure. So sometimes you have a, a blockage in the blood flow to the kidney by plaque or the way the vessel to the kidney is formed, and it kind of tricks your kidney since the blood flow is decreased to the kidney. The kidney, which regulates blood pressure, starts thinking, oh no, the blood pressure is low. When it's really not, it's just the vessel leading to the kidney. And it, in response, tries to make your blood pressure higher. And those people usually have high blood pressure. So it sounds like your doctor did did a, a great thing. And, and the good news is you had plaque in one, but not the other, which I would assume is good. You need, you know, as long as it sounds like you have that one kidney being flowed adequately and your, your renal function tests were all good. Dr. Norris, do you have anything to add to that? Uh- I agree with that. It is odd that if you have the um, the blood flow to one kidney lower than the other, that usually that we see high blood pressure that is very difficult to control. So a patient might be on four or five blood pressure medications, and yeah. then and then we I'm, say, I'm just I'm on a very low. I'm on low starting. Okay. Um, twenty five milligrams, and I it's hard to cut it in half, but <laughs> that's what I do and take it at night. Okay. And yeah. sometimes my blood pressure in the morning might be. Oh, 150. But it's not. And then it, when I stand, it still drops, but it's not dropping into the 80s like it was. Are okay. you getting enough to drink? I mean, are you dehydrated? Sometimes no, when people no, stand no up. I'm dehydrated. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, my, when all this started, my husband had been sick, and I had been in the hospital several months, and I'd been staying in Memphis at my daughter's, and my primary doctor thought I was having some kind of stress syndrome. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was causing the blood pressure fluctuation. Yeah, as we've talked about in the past, stress can do a lot with your body. But it sounds like what your doctor's done is working for you. It sounds like you had a clean panel of tests, which is great. So just continue to maintain your, your good kidney health. We wish you continued good health. Thank you for your call, Rachel. And now we're going to go back to the phones. And Dexter calling from Oxford. Go ahead, Dexter. Hi, I have uh, two questions, uh, one about lisinopril and the second one about uh, how much water to drink in a day. So the first question is, how much water should we drink in a day based on uh, age and weight? Well, and it also depends if you have any other medical problems, heart problems or liver problems. Um, those those two organs also play a role into um how much that we need to drink or our, our volume status, as we call it. Um, you know, the old saying is eight glasses a day. I like to go more by um, if, if you don't have any heart or liver or kidney problems, the color of your urine. We've said that before, but if, if your urine is a pale um, yellow or even clear, and if you're not thirsty, our thirst mechanism is there to tell us that we are dehydrated. And if you're thirsty, you're kind of already past the point of being dehydrated. And so based on the color of your urine, most people, if you're drinking eight, eight glasses of water a day, that, that is plenty. Is that eight um, ounces per right, glass? Mm-hmm, right. So, Has, hasn't there been a change in, in, I don't know if it's the American Medical Association or who, they, they lowered that amount? Right. So if you're a heart patient, we fluid restrict. And so we'll say you need either 800 or 1,000 cc's or a liter of fluid a day. And that can, that's any fluid. So water, coffee, juice, anything you drink. What's your second question, Dexter? second question is that uh, when, if you initiate uh, lisinopril on someone who's never taken it before, do you have to worry about kidney damage? I mean, I guess the incidence of kidney damage if you 
are initially starting lisinopril. Mm-hmm. Right. So lisinopril is one of my favorite blood pressure medications. It works well. It's um, good for protein in the urine. It, it helps reduce the protein in the urine. But you're exactly right. When we start lisinopril, I always like about 10 days later to repeat blood work and make sure potassium is stable and then that that kidney lab called creatinine is stable. And the the reason for that is say that if you have, like our, our other caller a few minutes ago, she had that plaque in the artery. If, if that is significant and you're placed on lisinopril, that can make the kidney function worse. Most people tolerate it well and, and there's no issues, but it's always a good idea to repeat the lab about 10 days later. Um, and especially when taking lisinopril to stay hydrated. Um, that medication with dehydration and then with the NSAIDs we were talking about is a perfect storm for kidney failure. Um, and so if, if you're on lisinopril, you stay hydrated and minimal NSAIDs is, is always a good rule of thumb. So if, you're, if your cardiovascular status is good to begin with, uh, there's nothing to worry about? As, as far as the fluid intake? Uh, in terms of the lisinopril. The lisinopril, well, um, for the most part, yes, but I always like to repeat the lab to make sure. I mean, there are rare problems that that we would repeat the lab and see the potassium or that creatinine change significantly. And really, if we see a 30% change in the creatinine, that means the blood pressure medication is working. It's lowering the blood pressure in the kidney. So a decrease in creatinine. An increase. Oh, increase. Yeah, okay. so a lower, so a little bit lower kidney function, but over the long run, it'll it'll stabilize. Gotcha. Instead of having high blood pressure and just a gradual decline. Sort of a trade-off. Right. Dexter, thank you very much for your phone thank call. You. We invite your calls at one eight seven seven MPB ring eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email women at mpbonline.org. When we come back from our last break. We really are going to ask Dr. Norris about a patient's first visit regarding kidney disease. We'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. MPB Radio's local programs are available now as podcasts. Sure, you love your MPB mobile app. It streams your favorite program anytime you like. But when streaming's not the thing, say, in flight or driving on the Natchez Trace, download your favorite podcast and you've got it in your pocket. Available on iTunes or on any podcast app. Grab your local MPB podcast now. 
shows you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio, specifically to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Allie Brown and Dr. Lindsay Norris, a nephrologist. We are talking about kidney disease today. So back to a question from a long time ago. All right. So where were we? We're getting worked up by you. I'm going to see Dr. Norris. <laughs> right. So if I see you in my clinic, usually that's about an hour clinic slot for a new patient. And we will we'll start with the history as far as how long have you had any medical problems, your family history. Are you a smoker? That affects the kidney in a negative way. Stop uh, smoking's smoking. bad for everything. Um, what medications have you been on or in the past? Have you had any maybe antibiotic or did you get a CT scan with contrast that can affect the kidney? And then once we kind of get history, then I like to look back at labs even from five years ago and say, what was that kidney number or creatinine then compared to now? And if it's about the same, then you have kidney disease and we'll talk about why and then I'll follow you in clinic. We might get some blood and urine that day, maybe an ultrasound of the kidney to look at the kidney and look at the size. Um, and then kind of on the flip side, if I'm seeing a patient and they had normal kidneys two weeks ago and now a big change and if they've been eating and drinking and not taking NSAIDs or anything like that, it brings up the role of do we need to perform a kidney biopsy and look at that kidney under the microscope and try to figure out why is it so angry and now failing. That's pathology. That excite- When you say <laughs> kidney biopsy, I get excited. We, we have, have a, a call. call from Lumberton. Timothy's on the line. Hi, Timothy. Hello. You have a question? Yes, uh, I'm 56 and I take Lisinopril HCTZ20 slash 12.5 and Diltiazem 360 milligrams. And uh, I crave salt bad, and uh, I guess I eat too much salt. And uh, I got a bad back, and I had an MRI, and it flashed over there on my kidney, and I had a big cyst in there. And uh, But my kidney function is, is normal. That, that brings up a great question because cysts in the kidney are not uncommon, right? So you must see patients from time to time that come with cysts on with imaging, c- right? Yeah, and um, cysts are very common. And so when we get that ultrasound, we talk about it is not uncommon if you're 40, 50, 60 to have cysts. And cysts are like a bubble that sits usually outside the kidney. And if they're simple cysts, and the MRI would probably have shown this, it means it's just a bubble, there's nothing in it. Those usually don't mean anything. If, if, um, if, if on the ultrasound or MRI, there's something inside of it, so maybe it's bleeding or there's septations or little lines in it. Usually I like to either move from the ultrasound to a CT scan maybe or even an MRI and then let urology take a look at things. Urologists or or surgeons. And sometimes these cysts can be concerned for um, certain types of malignancies and things like that. Usually for the most part they're not, but I like to be sure. And if there's anything abnormal in the cyst, then I'll usually let a urologist at least take a look at it. But if his kidney function is okay, does that... 
generally mean the cyst is not interfering? Those are two different things. Yes, yeah, so the, you could have normal kidneys and a very complex cyst. And so the, the, uh, that's why the imaging or the ultrasound of the kidney is important to look for anything like that. But I, I, I suspect um, if they did an MRI that at least they would know, is it a simple cyst? The size usually doesn't matter as much as what's inside of that cyst. Timothy, right. thank you yeah. very much. Uh, I wanted to ask about that salt, too. Uh, oh, the salt craving. The salt craving. You know, that is our diet. We live in the salt belt. Um, and it is once you get accustomed to it, you do crave it. Now, the good news is if you were to cut back on salt, it would get better the longer you tried to avoid it. But a low-salt diet is hard. You know, less than two grams a day is what is usually recommended. And if you eat a can of green beans, that's probably half your daily allowance <laughs> right there. Processed um, food has processed a lot. Processed food. They sneak it in there and things you think you're doing good by eating green beans. But uh, you really have to look at those labels as right. far as salt is concerned. Drinks, right? Sodas. Sodas are. Yeah. And sodium is salt. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Sodium. Timothy, thank you very much for your phone call. Appreciate it. Um, can kidney disease be hereditary? Yes. Um, speaking about the cyst, there, um, there's a polycystic kidney disease, um, fairly common around here. And that is a, um, the majority of it is inherited. Uh, at times it can be sporadic. So no one in your family has it and you do. And that's when your kidney is replaced by cyst, hundreds of them. Yeah, it's not, not like just you just one. have one. Yeah. Yeah. And Ew. it is very striking yeah. when you look okay. at it, um, either way with a CT or ultrasound. Poor um, Karen. <laughs> I was just picturing this she organ covered, the lab. Yeah. covered in cysts. It little, is. It, little bubbles. It like grapes, over. you know, it just it completely oh. replaced. Yeah. And that would be kidney failure. Oh, that that doesn't work anymore when it looks like that. But other types of kidney disease, would that be hereditary? So if if you're if your family has a history of kidney disease, um it would put you at greater risk. And there there's um a, a big word called glomerulonephritis. <laughs> that uh, inflammation of the kidney or or of the functional part of the kidney. And some types of those can can have family predisposition. Lupus yeah. is, is a huge one. Well, Lupus. If you, and if you think about the diseases that are most frequently causing kidney disease, hypertension and diabetes, there are strong familial links to those. So you could have one of those. It runs in your family. And if it's not treated and you don't, uh, or you don't know you have it or mm-hmm. whatever, absolutely. You might see more people in your family having kidney disease. You're talking about those. one of the symptoms being puffy eyes, like puffy all around. Is Again, is that the because of water retention? And that is most people that are, um, are losing a lot of protein in their urine. We say they're nephrotic, and that means you're losing grams of protein in your urine. And that protein keeps what needs to be in the blood vessels, fluid and things like that. And when your protein's low, it seeps out. And it's got a, a um, predisposition for around the if eyes. If you're losing protein like that, does that mean you're going to feel very weak? You could, right? Weak, um, just that that whole muscle list. cramps. Right, um, that was all on my list of things that I that I all yes. of a sudden decided I diagnosed myself. Yeah, with you failure. decided you have muscle cramps, poor appetite, being tired, staying up all night, or whatever, not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're tired and you can't sleep. I mean. Yeah, but as you said, Dr. Norris, a lot of those symptoms can be plenty of things. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially fatigue. I mean, my goodness. Who doesn't have <laughs> that? <laughs> and we're all diseased if that's the case. I know, right? Um, what was I going to ask? It just went out of my head. But thankfully, thankfully, we have a phone call. We have Leslie calling in from Oxford. It's, on, it's a big day for Oxford. Hi, hey, Leslie. Leslie. Hi, how are you? 
We're doing great. What's your question for the good Dr. Norris? Um, Not a question, just a comment on the gentleman, I believe his name is Timothy, who just called regarding his salt cravings and the cysts on his kidneys. Yes. Um, I just was wondering if there was any possibility that he might have, that the the cysts might actually be on his adrenal gland. Um, Salt cravings is one of the symptoms of primary adrenal insufficiency, which is different from the topic at hand, but is very serious. So I was wondering if he had had that checked out. I think he'd had an MRI that showed the renal cyst, the kidney cyst, right? So I, I would think that in an MRI, if it was even close to wondering if it's in the adrenal, that they would, would realize that. But uh, that, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Well, that was it just because... Um, He's got another adrenal though on the other side. So yeah, but that's something to think about. Yes, with the salt cravings, that's what made me think of it because um, the adrenal glands, of course, um, monitor your electrolytes, and so that's what made me think that to bring that up because it's a pretty relatively unknown condition. Interesting. Thank you, Leslie. You're quite welcome. Bye-bye. I know what I was going to ask now. No, I just I just went out of my head. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I say one thing. When I was a little kid, I used to eat salt by the handful. I love salt, I have to say. But I love now, salty I don't stuff. have any cravings for salt whatsoever. Yeah. I don't, everything tastes salty to me. I'm the opposite of well, good. having salt cravings. That's actually, I guess it's good. Except, Eating out. Except a on a baked potato. Yeah. I, do, <laughs> I do like salt and pepper on a baked potato. But that's beside the point. But on the salt, if we would cut back on salt, you could probably take off a blood pressure medication. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, if, if you, yeah, um, yeah if, if you lower your salt intake, then you might not need that. He mentioned HCTZ is a diuretic, and so that tries to tell your body to get rid of salt. Uh, I finally um, remembered my question. <laughs> if you um, change your lifestyle and you're taking care of your heart and everything else, and you're having you know kidney problems, so that's that's your answer to it. Are there also medications you can take to stop the kidney um, from progressing? The yeah, disease yeah, from progressing? exactly. So there's not a a kidney pill. If if there was, we would use it. Let's invent uh, one. Yeah. So there, there's not a Get pill. Rich. If you take this, it'll make the kidney stronger. You know, I mean, there's there's some episodes of if someone's in the hospital and they're sick and their their kidney shut down the kidney can recover it was an it was an acute event and and they recovered but with if you have high blood pressure diabetes there's not a there's not a magic medication it's just controlling your your lifestyle and your other medical conditions that are affecting the kidney it's the pill that helps your blood pressure but it's healthy living right it's so watching heart, your diet and exercising as well a healthy heart is most related to having a healthy uh, having healthy kidneys it, it plays into it. A, a weak heart is, is a vicious cycle with kidney disease. If the heart is weak, the kidneys will become weaker eventually and then kind of go into a cycle. But there, there's people that have a, a weak heart and normal kidney function, so it's not all comers. Um, but if you if you do have heart failure or any heart disease, that puts you at higher risk of kidney disease. We have about 30 seconds left. I wanted to ask, do... Um People need to be referred to you. Do they do they go to their primary care physician first and then have mm-hmm. a referral? Most are referred, right. Mm-hmm. They, they'll get labs and then send them to us. Well, Dr. Lindsay Norris, you gave us a lot of good information today. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you for things. sharing your symptoms with us, Dr. Brown. I know. Nice Man, to I know need that to you go over your have... analysis today. <laughs> now you have to find some other disease that you have with those symptoms. Yeah, by by uh, 2 o'clock or so, I'll have another disease. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered 
Hired by Jay White. Our call screener was Jay White. For Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday. No, don't join us next Friday because it'll be the day after Thanksgiving. Well, you can still join us. We'll have something for you. (laughs) For Southern Remedy for Women, stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This forecast is under...